martial arts has made me more calm a person than I would be had I not been training martial arts. People think that I'm this fighter because they see the UFC and they see all this adrenaline. They think that martial artists are these big, tough guys who are full of rage and adrenaline. And for me, and especially for my students, I want to teach them that you can be calm in the middle of the storm. This is The New School with your host, Christine Hong. Welcome to A New Kind of School, where we talk about career paths you don't normally get to hear about in the classroom. Every episode, I talk to someone with an interesting life path and learn about how they got to where they are today. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the New School Podcast. I'm your host, Christine Hong, and today we'll be speaking with Master Rasoon, an expert in all things martial arts. So Master Rasoon, like many others on the show, had a different dream growing up before realizing what he really wanted to do with his life. Before he became a martial arts master, Rasoon had tried his luck with a music career. After getting signed for a label to make a few albums, he realized the music industry wasn't right for him and he decided to go full time into martial arts. He opened up his own school for martial arts in New York City, then Los Angeles, and the rest is history. In this episode, Master Soon shares with me how he became interested in martial arts, what it was like to switch from a music career to one in martial arts, what it was like training under Grandmaster William Chung, who introduced Bruce Lee to Yip Man back in the 1950s, and some of his celeb clients that he currently trains at his Los Angeles school. I am really excited to share his story with you, and I know you're going to love it. Well, first of all, thank you so much for being on the show. We're so excited to have you. I was kind of wondering for our audience, if you had to describe your job right now, what would you say? I do what I'm passionate about, what I love. I, I teach martial arts. And because I teach martial arts, I have these avenues to kind of do all different types of things. I get to train children, adults, all different types of people in different walks of life who have different kind of expectations out of training martial arts. So like not everyone wants to be, you know, Mike Tyson or Street Fighter, but some people do. Some people just really want longevity and health. Some people want peace or they want to do some type of exercise or something. So I've pretty much customized my training to the people that you know, for what they want, because not everyone kind of wants the same thing. And that I also get to do train different athletes. I get to do fight choreography for films. It's pretty all around, pretty fulfilling job where I get to teach and train people and get to learn about them. And it's a, it's a give and take. So yeah, I don't know. I teach martial arts and that's kind of the easy package, but it's so much more to it than just that. Do you feel like you're living your dream job? Oh yeah. Are you kidding me? So yeah, when I was a kid, Really, really young, because I had two major loves in, in life, I guess. It was music and martial arts, you know. I've always trained martial arts since I was long enough to remember. I mean, I've always been interested in music. I've had a piano in my house since before I was born. And uh, my aunt was a musician, and so it got me interested into music. So I was always either into music or martial arts one way or the other, both of them. But I, I think the whole time people would ask me what I want to do, you know, in the future, I always said I wanted to teach martial arts. And that was something that I've known since I was a child. I didn't know how popular I was going to become at it. I never thought I'd be popular at all. I just thought this is something that I would do because I really loved it and enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, when you were growing up, you said you were interested in both martial arts and music. So what inspired you to choose martial arts over music? Well, when I was a kid, I was brought up in a pretty rough neighborhood and a time in Brooklyn and Fort Greene Project. Shout out to Fort Greene. <laughs> and, you know, growing up in the 70s and Fort Greene, it was really, really good time. But, you know, you really had to learn to take care of yourself in those days. And in my experience growing up, fights were very rarely fair. You know, you get into a fight or something and it was 
you think it's a one-on-one and, you know, next thing you know, his cousin's on the bus and sees you and jumps off the bus and hits you in the head with a garbage can. Or, you know, the guy pulls out a stick or a knife or a weapon or something like that. And in those days, I just, I knew uh, I didn't have a big family you know, I didn't have a lot of big brothers and sisters because in my neighborhood, if you had a big family, things were, you know, worked out better for you if you were gotten into trouble. So I just found out on an early age that I would have to be responsible for taking care of myself. And I looked at anything that even resembled martial arts because my uncle, when I was a kid, took me to a kung fu movie, a couple of kung fu movies in those days. And I saw that stuff and I was blown away and I was like, wow, this is I've never seen a guy take on more than one person before and all this other stuff. So it was I was enamored by it since I was a kid. So I sought it out as a child. And it was not like the childhood of people these days. You know, in the 70s, there was very little parental supervision in the lower income neighborhoods where I'm from. And I ran the streets, you know, with my friends and my cousins and family. And I knew that I'd have to be able to learn to defend myself. So anything that even resembled martial arts at that time, I was like, there. If it was at the the boys club in, in Farragut, projects that had like a kitty karate class or a kitty judo class or a, a gymnastics class or something, I was there taking it. If there was like a center up the block that took care of kids and they were teaching like a self-defense class, I was there. So I went through a succession of different martial arts instructors from maybe five or six years old till about nine or 10 until I met the teacher that I've been with for the past over 40 years. And I met him in Brooklyn in Four Green Park because I was training in Four Green at the top of the hill with one of my former instructors. And as I'm walking down the hill, I see this guy getting into an argument with my former instructor and they got into a fighting stance and they started to fight. And it was a fight that I'd never seen anything like that before. And it was over really, really quick. And he yelled at those guys and yelled and said something like, you guys are not teaching these kids real Kung Fu or real martial arts. And he said something to the effect of, if you kids want to learn some real martial arts, you can come with me. So I picked up my school bag and I left with that guy. And and I've been training with him and he's been my teacher since I was nine years old and I'm 51 years old now. So for over 40 years, I've been training with this gentleman. He's been my mentor for quite some time. His name is Master Philip Redman. And a few years into our training, I trained a few different styles with him. And eventually one day I asked him, what style do you use when you fight since you know all these styles? And he said, I do Wing Chun. And I was like, well, what's Wing Chun? You know, I've never heard of it. And he says, well, you know, I do these other fighting styles, but this is the one I use when I fight. And I said, well, I don't want to do this other stuff that I'm doing with you. I want to do that because I want to learn how to fight like you. And uh, he said, well, I thought you wanted to do the fancy stuff because, you know, that's what you were doing before you met me. I said, yeah, well, I was doing that because I was hoping that I would eventually find someone who knew how to fight. So I stopped doing the tiger's claw and the five animals and all these other styles that I was doing with him. And I started strictly focusing on this obscure art called Wing Chun that no one had ever heard of before. So what were you training in before uh, Wing Chun? It's called Kung Fu. Yeah. Just before Wing Chun, I was training Fuja Pai. It's a tiger's claw style of Kung Fu. And I was training Hung Kyun, Hung Gar. It's another Chinese animal style. It's called the five animals of Kung Fu. And before that, I was studying seven star praying mantis. And before that, I was doing some karate with some friends and some kitty jujitsu stuff like that and judo. I went through so many pseudo martial artists and martial art instructors who kind of come through the 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 inner cities of New York. 
until eventually I met with Master Redman, who, after a few years of training with him, he was in contact with Grandmaster William Chung, who is a student of Ip Man, best friends with Bruce Lee, and he was the one who brought Bruce Lee to Ip Man to become a student of martial arts. So I met him when I was about 12 years old in New York. Grandmaster Chung is from Hong Kong. He lived in Australia, and we convinced him to come to New York to do a workshop and a seminar. And I met him, and that's when I started training his version of Wing Chun. So I've been doing his version of Wing Chun now for 49 years. Wow, that's a long time. So I'm kind of curious, what did you like so much about martial arts as a child? That made you want to to use so many different forms and just keep going at it. You know, much like if you enjoy gymnastics or if you enjoy chess or anything like that, it was just really fun for me. I found out that I was pretty good at it. It was something that I excelled at. I found it was something I could do that I could get better at. It became a thinking man's art because much like, I don't know, if you're interested in trigonometry or something like that, there's always another door to be opened in terms of knowledge and expanding your knowledge. So... I think it just suited me a lot. It kept me going all this time because it's really fun. I explore it every day, like like figuring it out, a new puzzle. My students, the, the look on their faces when they're growing and they're getting it and they have that aha moment, like, oh man, I get it. Oh, this is what this means. It's all just, you know, icing on the cake for me. I mean, you weren't teaching as a kid, right? Well, actually, yes. So I was the assistant instructor at Master Redmond School. I was maybe from... 12 to 17 years old. I was one of the senior students of the class at the school. My teacher was a master of the school. And since I was one of the senior students there, meaning I had maybe learned a few more of the forms ahead of some of the other people who had joined in, it was my job to assist them in their progress because I had joined before them. That's a, a pretty quick rise. Did you find yourself just naturally good at it or did you just work harder than everyone else at it? I did work hard. It kind of brought things out of me, a a sense of duty and responsibility because, you know, I was a kid, an inner city kid who's like, you know, 13. And I have a lot of students who are grown men. Well, they're not my student, but, you know, it's, it's my responsibility to help train them. And they're grown men. Some of them were police officers. Having this kind of responsibility kind of shaped me to be a bit more responsible with things. Did you feel like you were naturally good at martial arts or did you just work harder at it than everybody else? So I think maybe a little bit of both. I don't want to say I worked harder than everybody else. I just think that I found a system that suited me. And and because it suited me, I think that I found a knack for it and made it really comfortable. I think that training all these different martial arts, because there's so many different styles of martial arts, they all have different personalities, so to say. And, and so do people. People have different shapes and sizes, personalities. And I think that people should find a martial art that suits them you suits their physicality, their personality, and so on and so forth, because there's so many out there that, that can do that. And I think that I've found one that suits me well enough that maybe had I been doing another art, I might not be as skilled at it, maybe, because of my own personal... Well, right now, I'm a little older than I was when I was a kid. So training an art that relies on me being really, really strong or really flexible or really, really fast might not be the best idea for someone my age. Whereas Wing Chun is something I've been doing for so long, it doesn't require me to be super flexible or super strong or, you know, and those are just pluses to anything. Now, if I am flexible and if I am pretty strong, that's an addition to what I'm working with. But my system isn't based on that. 
So I think that maybe it's a little bit of both. Yeah. So you found Wing Chun was like the one that best suited you? Yeah. Yeah. Because, well, the art doesn't really rely on brute force. It's a thinking man system. It's very economic. And I like that about the system. It doesn't, you're not plowing your way through things. You're using your head and you're talking about balance balance and being able to use two arms at the same time. It's a great strategy of fighting on a blind side, controlling the lead arm. It's the only system that was developed by a woman. So the strategy in the fighting is a little different than most of the other fighting styles that I'm used to encountering. Although it does share some similarities with a little bit more of the upper echelon of martial arts systems that I've encountered. Meaning, my grandmaster told me once that Wing Chun is like the best of all systems. But what he meant by that is, Any system that you study, if your aim is to become more efficient at it and to become more economical at it, no matter what system you do, the more economical you become at the system, the more it looks like Wing Chun, because they're moving in that direction. That's what the system is going to look like. I really visualize it, to be honest. Can you kind of explain what that is to someone who knows nothing about martial arts? Huh. Let's see. We have principles and strategies in this art that because it was developed by a smaller frame person to deal with larger frame people, one of the principles is that, well, if you fight force against force, meaning resist against resistance, whoever's got the most resistance is going to win. So we have this principle that says, instead of going against the resistance, right, we know that force only has one direction. It, the, the direction is going in. So if I wanted to fight that force, I could actually fight it from any direction I want, except one, the direction is going in. So if something's pushing this way, instead of being right behind it to stop it, I can push down or up or left or right or any way I want to divert this energy, except the way it's going. So that's just a way of fighting the force, but not head on. What happened when you were 18? Did you go to college or did you continue martial arts? I continued training martial arts as a hobby, but right out of high school, I got a record deal. And I was doing music for quite some time. Oh, wow. So all the people who knew that I was doing music at that time had no idea that I was a martial artist. And all the people who knew I was doing martial arts had no idea that I was a musician. So I was kind of living these two kind of separate lives, which is really crazy. And as a musician, I was in the late 80s and, and mid 90s. I was doing dance music and club music. I was a kid. I got my first sign of my first record deal at six, 17 years old. I was on... Uh, Criminal Records signed by Arthur Baker. And and then I did a record. I sang with this Latin singer named India, La India. And I was on Warner Brothers Records, Warner Brothers Reprise Records with her. And then I was on Tommy Boy Records. So this whole time for maybe a decade, I was doing music and touring the country and, and writing and producing and singing on stage and doing all this crazy stuff that uh, seems like a lifetime or several lifetimes ago for me. So yeah, at that time I was kind of running around doing music and that was my career at the time, being a musician, a writer, a songwriter, a producer for like dance music for like 10 years in my youth. Then I started to focus a lot more on my martial arts because I think I got really personal with my management company at the time, my last management company, and I decided I wasn't going to do music anymore. And then right after I decided that, I got another record deal. So I said, okay, I'll just do this last one. <laughs> well, I just, I kept doing music for a little bit. I just shied away from being in the spotlight and really wanted to have, be a bit more grounded and keep my feet on the ground. So I just really dove really head deep back into my martial arts. Wait, so this is at age 27, you went back into martial arts? Yeah, because it was always kind of both happening. One thing kind of outshined another for a while. So sometimes music was... on the forefront and then sometimes martial arts was. And I think from 
18 to 27, music was maybe more on the forefront for me because that's what I was making my living on. And martial arts was something that was keeping me grounded. Was it hard to balance the two? Oh, not at all. Martial arts was always there for me because it's in my reflexes. You'd see me <laughs> hands moving around all the time and people like, what's this guy doing? And music was, again, those are my two outlets for, for expressing myself, you know? What do you think your biggest career struggle was in your 20s or just smooth sailing? Biggest career struggle in the 20s? Well, music was music was interesting. You know, it's it's interesting because you get to know people and you get to learn about how people are at a young age, maybe a little in a, in a microcosm, you know? So the music industry was a bit of a struggle because at that time for me, I trusted people that I probably shouldn't have trusted and didn't realize how much of a business this was. You know, well, at 17, 18 years old, you don't really know, right? You just think, oh, I want to do music. I want to enjoy myself. And then you're thrust into the, into the music business. Then you realize, oh yeah, there's a business at the end of this thing. It's music business. And you're not really adept at business. Every creative has said this on this show. They're like, oh, I wanted to focus on the creative aspect. And that's what I wanted growing up. And then when I actually did it, I realized I had to learn the business part. And no one tells you about that before you dive in. Are you on Spotify, by the way? What's your artist name? <laughs> oh, you're going to look me up right now. It, it, Ross Sun. It's Ross Sun. My aunt was, was a singer, dance music back in the early 80s. And when she came out, she used her middle name as her stage name. And and I thought that was a good idea. And I used my middle name and that's been my kind of stage name or professional name this whole time. So Rasun is actually my middle name. And that's been my kind of professional name for the past 20 something years. Oh my God. Wait, so how did you even shift into martial arts and like making a living off of it then? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I guess it started from word of mouth, right? I had eventually after I stopped doing music and, and stuff, even when uh, the last album came out in like 95, I didn't perform it or anything. I just let the record come out. And by that time, I had just opened up a storefront in Brooklyn in, in Carroll Gardens. I started teaching some of my friends and taking on a few students. Yeah, it started kind of from there because I wasn't making very much money. You know, I had a, a few friends over that I would come and train, but it was really for me to be able to keep up my training and have some people to work with and train more, you know? But I just kept going, kept training with it and it, getting a bit more and more serious with it. Eventually, I ended up moving to Los Angeles, opening a school here, started training people here, and then things really started to take off. Hey, everyone. Just a quick thanks to our sponsor, Obby. Obby is an app I've been working on for almost a year, and I'm excited to announce that it's finally on the app and Play Store. If you're having trouble finding podcast episodes you like, Obby is the ultimate audio buddy for you. It's a podcast matchmaker that learns about you and your interests to give episode recommendations personalized just for you. The best part is that you can play these episodes right from the app. You can find a link to download Obby at heyobby.com. What was opening the school like? Yeah, yeah. When I moved here to Los Angeles, I got here. I didn't really know anyone. It started pretty not on the bright side, right? Because we're here in LA. You know, I was relatively young. I think like 28, 29 years so old. Why did you move to Los Angeles then if you didn't know anyone? Oh, well, when I was singing with India, Warner Brothers sent us on a tour around the country. And I'm from Brooklyn. I'd never left Brooklyn, pretty much. You know, I went to a couple of places, but never really left the place. This is my kind of chance to kind of see the country. And I got to travel around. And we went to L.A. on tour. 
we're at Tower Records on Sunset Boulevard signing autographs. We come out of Tower Records and I see two girls get on a motorcycle and put their helmets on and they got bikinis on and they drove off on the same motorcycle and I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. And I was like, you know what? One day I'm going to move to Los Angeles. Oh my God, that's the reason. <laughs> I was like, they're going to say, well, martial arts is better there. Someday. No, man, I just, I'm telling you the truth, right? So that was, I was like, one day I'm going to move to Los Angeles. Now I'm back in Brooklyn. There was this huge rainstorm and it blew a water pipe from the roof and it flooded my, my whole space, right? And I was pretty upset. I had a really nice place and now it's all flooded and I didn't have rental insurance or anything like that. I was a young guy and one of my friends and students called me who had moved to LA and he said, Hey, how are you doing? And I was like, man, I just have this flood. And he, I was like, how's the weather in LA? He said, it's beautiful. I said, you know what? I'll be there in a minute. And he says, what do you mean? You're coming to visit? And I said, no, I'm, I'm moving to LA. He says, when did you decide that? And I said, no, just now I'm going to be there. And he laughed at me three weeks later, closed the gates down to my school. I had uh, given away whatever I couldn't sell in my place. So were you just making a living off your martial arts school by then so you could just quit music? Yeah. At that time, the only way I was making money from music was doing shows. After you make a record, you got to really perform your butt off, you know, and to make really good money at that time because you weren't really making money from sales, so to speak. So you got to get out and work. I was making pretty good money at the school. So I was like, okay, I, I wasn't worried about this. And it was keeping me more grounded. You know, I think that being a musician and running around with the musicians and that whole scene it made my head a little bit bigger than I wanted it to be. You know, I really felt like I should maybe put my feet back on the ground. And, and I think martial arts is what really helped me to keep my feet on the ground, you know? Yeah, for sure. So was it hard to move to LA because wasn't your favorite teacher in New York? So was it hard to leave him? Yeah, I kind of had to break off on my own and kind of do my own thing. And it was really difficult and challenging because I didn't really know anybody in L.A. I had How'd to... you get your first clients in L.A. even? I'm so curious because you use word of mouth in New York, right? Right. So, well, it took a while. Actually, the first few years in L.A., I didn't really have very many students, if any at all. It was really just kind of finding my own my own stability here because it's been crazy up and down. Like the first year was pretty interesting and turbulent. And then as the years went by, things started to get more solid. I met a really good group of friends here. And eventually after around, because I moved here in 98, 99, right? And in about 2004, by then I had accumulated maybe a good dozen or so students, right? And then by then Grandmaster had invited me to, to Australia. So I went out there for about a year. And by the time I had come back from Australia, my grandmother wasn't doing very well. She was in her 90s and her health was failing. So I left Australia to go back to New York to take care of my grandmother. In that time, I had just said, well, I'm going to stop training martial arts. I'm not going to teach. I'm going to commit to taking care of my grandmother because there was no one there to take care of her. And, and, I, and I wanted to do that. So in this time, I kind of said, I'm not going to teach any martial arts again. Oh, well, for now. But just when that happened, see, it's never what I want, right? <laughs> just when I said, I'm not going to take on any more students. My former student from when I lived in Brooklyn, right, comes up to me with his son. And it was like, you know, like a, I don't know, like a movie or something. He brings his son and he goes, Sifu, please, will you please take on my son? And I knew this was a commitment that I had already said that I'm not going to do. but 
it was also at a time when I was, we'll just say I had some self-doubt. Well, I had a pretty turbulent history with my teacher over the years. You know, we've been teacher and student and more like father and son. He's been my father figure and, and my mentor since I was, you know, before I was 10 years old. So they haven't always been the most pleasant of times, although most of them have. And we've had some disagreements and so forth. And we really know how to get under each other's skin because because we're so close. And at that time, for whatever reason, I felt that he didn't think my Kung Fu was up to par, so to speak. And I'm saying this the nicest way I can. Right? So I took this as a challenge. And I said, hmm, okay, this kid, my student's son, has never trained martial arts before. He has absolutely no muscular definition. He's never made a fist or thrown a punch. And then I said, well, most of my students that are really good fighters, most of them have already been good fighters before they met me. So let's see what I can really do. You know what? I will take this this young man on as a student, and I will commit to him. And... I'm going to really commit to him. I'm going to commit to him with a passion. I'm going to give this kid everything that I, that he can take and anything he asks for. In fact, I'm going to be the teacher to him that I wanted for myself. And let's see what happens here. And then we'll see how good of a Kung Fu teacher I really am. And I took on this young man who's now been with me for 15 years. He is now, well... He's arguably my most skilled student. He was graded to be an instructor, gold sash instructor, and I didn't grade him myself. I took him to the Grandmaster William Chung to have Grandmaster Chung grade him personally because usually I grade my own students. But for this one, I had the Grandmaster grade him because, again, I didn't want any preferential, right? I wanted to see, I wanted an outside source to say, to grade him and see how good he is. And he graded with very, very high scores. And even before he became a Sifu, he was known by all the other... Sifu means instructor or teacher or master. Before he became a, a gold sash, he was helping to train all a lot of the other gold sash instructors in our association. So he's been respected by a lot of his seniors for all this time. And now that he's an instructor... He's also a well-respected instructor and a champion fighter. So it seems like that's probably like your favorite part of your job, just like having really successful students like him. I am wondering what's the least favorite part of your job? Least favorite part of my job? Probably haters online, maybe. (laughs) People who are detached and who can hide behind their screen names and, oh, your Kung Fu is crap. Oh, you're stupid. Oh, you shouldn't have trained with this guy for so long. You've wasted your life away. Oh, you've done, oh, my style is better than your style. You should have done karate. Why don't you do jujitsu? What's wrong with you? From YouTube to Facebook to whatever. And, you know, you get a great, great comments and compliments. Over the years, I've, I think I've been on YouTube for maybe over 11 years. I have maybe... 10 million views on my channel. And the comments have, over the years, tend to have gotten better, right? But there have been some really, really just bad comments from people over the years. And that stuff kind of, you just like, when I first was on here, I wasn't so, you know, I didn't type as fast. I, you know, I have to read. And so these guys would send me these, like, paragraphs of 
what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing this style. Your grandmaster's stupid. You're stupid. What are you doing? I, I, and I'm just like, so I would try to answer them, but they'd, you know, more paragraphs. And I'm like, so this one guy, I was like, look, I don't type that fast. So you know what I'm going to do? So I tried to Google this guy and I found what I thought was his phone number. So I called the number and an elderly woman answered the phone. And I said, oh, hi. My name is Sifurah Sun. I was just having a conversation online with someone named so-and-so. We got disconnected and I was trying to reach out to see if I could continue our conversation on the phone. I'm not sure if this is the right number, but if this is the right number. And she was like, oh yeah, that's my grandson. Oh yeah, he's great, but he's not here right now. And I said, oh, well listen, I'm really, really sorry to bother you, but if you could give him my phone number and so we can continue our conversation. And she's like, oh, great. And I said, thank you again. I'm really, really sorry to bother you. And she said, no problem at all. So she hung up. And then the guy texts me back and says, with all caps, you called my grandmother? What's wrong with you? And then he goes, well, you know what? It's my fault. I'm really sorry. I was just having a bad day at work. And I took out my frustrations on you. I really shouldn't have done that. You know, please forgive me and accept my apology. And I won't bother you again. I think that's the worst part is people and their, you know, preconceived notions about martial arts. So them wanting to kind of get their frustrations of the day out on someone just because, you know, they may do something that, I don't know, they disagree. What are the uh, biggest misconceptions about your career, you think, your job? I guess that you got to put one of those memes of like what people think I do, what my mom thinks I do. Right, right. Do, right? <laughs> um. What people think I do, people think that I'm this, from my understanding of what people think, and that's just because they throw it at me, people think that I'm this fighter that's this, I don't know. I, I think martial arts has made me, I think, more calm a person than I would be had I not been training martial arts. They think, I think that they think martial arts is because they see the UFC and they see all this adrenaline, they think that martial artists are these big, tough guys who are full of rage and adrenaline. And for me, and even for my, especially for my students, I want to teach them that you can be calm in the middle of the storm, right? You don't have to be to match aggression with this crazy guy. You know, you can really calm down and relax. And in fact, it's because you're relaxed, you have access to your natural abilities instead of because you're all excited now adrenaline comes in and all these other involuntary actions come into your, into your spirit. And you're just like, yeah, you, you don't have access to your natural movements. So I think one of the mis biggest misconceptions about martial arts is, or training the martial art that I do is that people think that we're these rage monsters who kind of, you know, and when I think it's the opposite, a lot of my students are, I have a students who are restaurateurs who own restaurants. I have students who are school students or comedians, gosh, football players, NBA, basketball, professional boxers. I have all these different students from all different walks of life. If they all got into a room together, you would not believe what the, the common thread is between them, right? You'd say, what are all these people doing here? They're all so different in, in their lives. But the common thread is they're all training the same martial art. So I think that, yeah, that would be the biggest misconception is that we're these meatheads or we're these guys who are just like rage monsters who go around beating people up. I think that's the furthest thing from the truth with us, you know? Yeah, so it sounds like you do a lot of things. You have a YouTube channel that has 10 million views. You run a school. You go off to Shaolin Temple or something in Australia. What's your current day to day like? So, so I'm here in LA these days. Nowadays, it's been kind of because of Corona, things have been kind of laid back. So I don't have the open big school anymore. I just do private lessons. And I have a 
few students that are consistent enough to kind of keep me going, right? I do a group class for, for a small group of people on Saturdays, but during the week I do private lessons. My, my schedule is pretty much from eight in the morning to about four to 6 p.m. sometimes. And I put in uh, an hour or two with each one of my students during the week. And I may have like a half a dozen or so students. Some are children. <laughs> I want my youngest student right now that I'm doing private lessons with is six years old. And he is driving me crazy <laughs> because he's just a ball of energy, you know, and they're just so sneaky. They try everything on you. You know, they're like, oh, uh, I have to go to the bathroom. You know, oh, is it break time already? Oh, what's this, master? You know, they want to get your attention. And I'm like, you're not going to make me fall for it. So yeah, I've got kids and I've got some students in the Hollywood area. I have a few celebrity clients that I've been working with consistently that just really love the training. Are you allowed to tell us what celebs they are? I work with Alfredo Angulo. He's a professional boxer. I'm super proud of the progress I've had with him. Afion Crockett. Uh, I've got to say that Afion Crockett is a super talented actor, rapper, comedian. If you haven't heard of Afion Crockett, please look him up. He's one of my students. He's an amazing martial artist, just all around great guy. But don't sleep on his martial arts skills. Let's see. I train. Oh, I work with Stevie Wonder and his children. One of his kids is Kwame. Hey, Kwame. Kwame's doing really, really well with, with training in Wing Chun. So. Yeah back at your martial arts career, is there any biggest mistake you think you made? Biggest mistakes I've made? Oh, yeah, but you learn from them, I guess. You know, I wish that I would have found the right teacher sooner, right? I wish I'd have known what to look for in a, in a teacher and an art sooner. Yeah, I, that's, that's about it. I, I try to make the best of it. So looking back on, on what, I don't know, let's see. I guess to wrap up really, for those looking to make a career out of martial arts, is there any advice you would give to them? Oh, uh, yeah. I think stay true to yourself, right? I, for a long time, I think maybe for the first 20 years of me teaching, so I respect my teacher and my grandmaster a great deal. And I think that for the first couple of decades, of me teaching, I taught what I was taught, right? I almost use the same words and verbiage that my grandmaster uses and my teacher. I taught what I was taught for quite some time. And now, in good conscience, there's no way that I could ever, again, teach what I was taught, right? Because now I teach what I learned. And sometimes what I learned from this whole experience might contradict sometimes what I've been taught. Do you understand? Yeah. Right? So, you know, well, sometimes the teacher teaches you something. Maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. But what you've learned from the situation is what you've internalized. So I want to make teaching something more personal. And now I teach from a viewpoint of the things that I've learned over the course of my career, rather than teaching like a parrot Right. I, I, I want you to be your own creator. I want you to be able to write your own poetry. Right. Right. And this is my way of expressing myself through martial arts. So this is my poetry. This is yeah, this is my poetry. This is no longer, you know, the words of my masters or the words of my grandmasters. And this is now from my experience. And I think that anyone wanting to move into the realm of teaching martial arts should bring in their own experience. No matter, it, it may take some time to get there, but it, again, 
for me, I think that that's really the key. Hey guys, I hope you enjoy listening to the stories of Mass Rasoon. Make sure to check out our website at thenewschoolpodcast.com. You can find links to anything mentioned in the episode in our show notes and suggest amazing new guests for the show. Get every episode as soon as it drops by hitting the subscribe button to The New School wherever you like to get your podcasts. And if you have some time, we love it if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That'd be super appreciated. Stay up to date on all things The New School by following us on Instagram at The New School Podcast and on Twitter at The New School Pod. Next week will be our last episode before the holiday break. We're going to be speaking with Catherine Minshew. Catherine is the founder and CEO of The Muse, the go-to destination for the next-gen workforce to research companies and careers. I got so much pushback when I quit my job. And the thing is, most people give advice, or not advice, but most people react based on how they would react in your situation. And a lot of people don't have the risk tolerance, and that's okay. But it means that just because someone else thinks that what you do is crazy doesn't necessarily mean it's crazy for you. I am so excited for you to join me next month to hear Catherine's story. She is so amazing. She has so many insights on what it takes to be an entrepreneur and the struggles of starting a company and gives really great advice for anyone who wants to found their own company one day. She also gives really helpful advice on how to find a career of your dreams because that is literally what The Muse does. So this is a pretty special episode to end with before the holiday break. Can't wait to see you guys there. All right, guys, have a great day. Try something new today. The New School with Christine Hong is produced by Jenny Snyder, Claire Wiley, and Alexia Mersola. Editing by Sydney Salk, John Simpson, and Joseph Cho. Special thanks to our marketing team who help us spread our mission and put the new school name out there. Katie Osaki, Dina Che, Marissa Wolfsheimer, and Giovanni Cortez.